0: If you would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13 beginning in verse 22, I appeal to you brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So we come to the end, the real end. This has been... Kind of a long sequence of endings with the book of Hebrews. If you're familiar with many great works of fiction, or literature in general, you know that the best works end in this way, a cascading unfolding of endings. And this is truly the final end. And, and I would say it's unique in a sense because it's the first thing he says after the conclusion of the main message. So he finishes it, he really ends with the word amen in verse 21, and then he tells us a few personal remarks about what he's already said to us. So it's as if he finishes his sermon, he calls it a word of exhortation here. The best way to take that is he understands it to be a sermon to them in the form of a letter that's being written. And then he steps outside of the sermon and then tells them this, So he's teaching them about what he has just said and a few personal remarks along with it. So let's jump right in to verse 22. And I've titled this message, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You hear me say that all the time. I think that, even though it's not in the text, encapsulates what he's saying. Uh, It is part of the ministry of the gospel that we pray and plead with God to give our hearers a spirit of hearing. Most of us have functional ears and the ability to hear what's being said, or at least read what's on a page, to understand communication in some way. But what we need in order to hear are the ears of our heart, if you will, to be opened. And so that's what Jesus means when he says this statement, and we'll get to the passage where he actually says it, he who has ears to hear. Let him hear. He's not just saying, if you can physically hear, listen to me. He's saying, listen with your heart to what I'm saying. So I think that's what, is he, what the author is saying to us in verse 22. He's saying, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for or because I have written to you briefly. So the first thing that we'll talk about is this, this idea of hearing. Or, or, or the ministry of the word, the, the work of the word in the world, the word of Christ in the world, the ministry of the word, and the problem of hearing. The ministry of the word and the problem of hearing. Here's, here's another possible translation. This is how one commentator put it. He says, Brothers, I urge you to listen willingly to the word of exhortation. And here's my attempt. This is This is how I think... If we were to say it literally, this is what it would sound like in our hearing. And I urgently exhort you, brothers, to bear with my word of exhortation. Because the word that he used, he says, bear with, it's, it's the same root for exhortation. And we've met this word, exhort, throughout the letter. And so I think there's intentional wordplay here. That he's saying, I'd exhort you one more time to listen to what I just said. I exhort you to listen to the exhortation. So he's kind of layering himself. I've just exhorted you, and I'm going to exhort you to listen to it. That's the flavor of this text, I think. And so it, he links it, I think, by using the same root word to four other places that we meet this word, exhort. In Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14, we saw it. We, we spent several weeks on that passage. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if we hold our confidence to the end. So exhorting one another every day. We spent many, many weeks exploring that. That that is the essence of what it means to exist in Christian community. And then we also saw it in Hebrews 10, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, same same word, exhorting one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So insofar as we live day by day and we see and understand that the return of Christ is coming closer and closer, the more we should be exhorting one another. So however much they were doing it 2,000 years ago should not be uh, uh, more in our minds than what we do now. It's like, well, that that exhorting one another every day, that that meeting together and and speaking the word of Christ and letting it dwell richly 2,000 years ago, that's not for us anymore. He says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then we also saw this word exhort in Hebrews 13. Just a few weeks ago we addressed this. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you, it's the same word, I exhort you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So he exhorts them to exhort one another. He, he exhorts them to pray for him. And, and he is now exhorting them to bear with or to listen to everything that he said, his whole word of exhortation. And I think we need to say a few things about the meaning of this word, exhort, before we gets used twice here. I exhort you to bear with my word of exhortation. And it, it, it has the flavor of beside calling. That would be a literal rendering of it, but standing beside someone and calling them to something. Uh... It, it, it actually is similar to the word paraclete, or what we know as the helper, that the Spirit Himself stands beside or stands with us and summons us to things. So, so have the same effect in your life towards each other as the Holy Spirit Himself has. That's the flavor of the term. And so He is beside calling them. He's standing beside, standing right next to them in their lives, involved, and He's calling them to something, telling them to do something. Even as the Spirit is working in them through the Word. It's, it's, I, I used, this was a long time ago when we were in chapter 3, but a, a holy cattle prod in each other's lives to, to spur each other on to faithfulness. That's, that's what exhorting means. That's the flavor of it. So, Why does he appeal to them? This is under the heading of the ministry of the word and the problem of hearing. And I'm calling it the problem of hearing because there is a problem of hearing. Why does he appeal to them? Why is he exhorting them to listen to his exhortation? Why does he need to urge them to put up with it? There are so many reasons, but I will give you four that I think are very obvious. Number one. Because this is a short sermon. (laughs) Look at it. For I have written to you briefly. That's the only one explicitly mentioned in the text. For or because I've written to you briefly. So so bear with it. Be patient. Listen to it. I urge you to listen to this exhortation because this has been just a short time. And if if you're a fast reader you can get through Hebrews speaking it out loud in about 40 minutes. He says, that's short. And if you're a slower reader, or if you're kind of enunciating in a way that really gives a sense of the words, it takes you about 50 minutes to read through Hebrews. And he calls it short. So, it's hilarious in one sense, but but imagine receiving this letter... You're, you're the small house church it's addressed to this beleaguered group of Christians who are under persecution, and there's uh, disunity maybe a little bit between the leaders and the hearers, that's alluded to in chapter 13, and there's some in their midst who are wanting to go back the old way to the law of Moses, there's just this, this sense of unrest, and you receive this letter, and they read it. There's one copy, <laughs> you don't get to look along while it's being read, and they just read it. No explanation, no comments, just straight through for 40 to 50 minutes and you get to the end and hear, bear with this, listen to it because I've written to you briefly. How would that sound or feel to you? Would you want more time to discuss, more time to dig into everything that he said? I mean, this is the most difficult, one of the most difficult uh, books in the New Testament. Some of the most lofty vantage points of theology we encounter are in Hebrews. I've written to you briefly. And there's a sense in which that is true of all gospel ministry. Jesus, in the upper room, he says, there are many things I would like to tell to you, but you can't bear them right now. There's a sense in which he knows he's running out of time. and There's so many more things that he would like to say, so much more that he would like to experience with them. And he just says, "I I don't have enough time. There's always a limit to time, so bear with, be patient with words of exhortation, with preaching in general, because there's not enough time to say all that needs to be said. There's not. Number two, this is why, why does he appeal to them? One, because it's a short sermon. Number two, because exhorting can be unpleasant. Unpleasant. I called it being a holy cattle prod in someone else's life. Have any of y'all ever encountered a cattle prod directly up against yourself? (laughs) It's not pleasant. Or spurs? It's an unpleasant metaphor. And it's uh, intentional. And there's some debate about whether or not this should be taken, whether verse 22 should be taken as a gentle reminder or as a stern rebuke. Right, The, the commentators are, are divided. But I think he's intentionally being uh, a little vague here with his wording. Uh, it, it, one side says it should read something like this. I appeal to you to bear with. That, that would be a more severe version. I, I'm appealing, I'm begging you, listen to what I'm saying. Or a more, a more encouragement, I urge you to listen willingly to what's being said. And, and I, I think it depends on where you are as a person. How you should take it. Should you take it as a stern summons? A stern exhortation to listen? Or does it come across as a gentle encouragement? It depends on where you are. It's sort of like the author has said a few chapters ago, our God is a consuming fire. How do you take that? Well, if your heart is properly disposed to God and you love who he is and you love his holiness, then when you hear our God is a consuming fire, then you say, yes, he's holy, he's just, he's pure. I want to be like him. But if you're rebellious, if you are bitter, if you're hard-hearted and stiff-necked in some ways, then when you hear our God is a consuming fire, you recoil. That's how this Needs to be read. Bear with my word of exhortation. It comes across as a stern rebuke if you're not willing to bear with exhortation. It's like the psalmist says, with the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. He's speaking of God. So it really depends on where you are in your heart whether or not this Exhortation to bear with exhortation is received as an encouragement or a stern rebuke. And the reason is because exhorting can be unpleasant. We can alter the gospel as much as we want to make it acceptable and unpleasant to the stiff-necked and to the embittered and to the selfish and to the fleshly and the worldly. We can dress Jesus up and make Him as Appealing as we want him to be, as relatable as we want him to be, but real biblical exhortation when it's here's what it says, so here's what I'm saying to you, direct line of connection, here's what God has said, so here's what I'm saying to you, that can be unpleasant. Number three, this is underneath why does he appeal to them? Number three, because the trend will be from bad to worse. The trend will be from bad to worse. Uh, I actually want you to turn here. I generally try to limit the number of times I ask you to turn somewhere, but I do want you to see this. Second Timothy 4 should be a passage you're familiar with. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For why, why, Timothy, should you continue to preach and continue to exhort and continue to rebuke and continue to reprove with complete patience? Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So, the author's appeal in verse 22 is essentially, don't be like those who accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own interests. It's almost like he's saying, I know that some of of this is going to come across as harsh. I mean, were you paying attention when we went through chapters 6 and 10? Some of it's going to come across as harsh. And he's saying, please bear with it. Don't be like those who get tired of hearing the difficult words and then just bring to themselves whatever teachers suit their own fancies. And now it's so easy to find whoever you want whatever teacher you want to say whatever you want you can go and have the weirdest theological view you can come up with it yourself and then type in a few keywords and find a guy with a phd who agrees with you that's accumulating to yourself teachers to suit your own fancies the trend's going to be from bad to worse and this i mean this is 2000 years ago it's only gotten worse bear with the faithful preaching of the Bible because there will be a famine of hearing in the last days. Number four, the last reason he appeals to them, because the flesh is opposed to the word. The flesh is opposed to the world. So let's say you're not one of those who's accumulating to yourselves teachers to suit your own fancies and to, to satisfy your itching ears. You're a faithful Christian. Jesus is your hope and trust, yet you still have, I still have, indwelling sin, the old self, the flesh to reckon with every day, and especially Sunday, especially on the day that you choose to gather with God's people to listen to words of exhortation. That's when the flesh is aroused to oppose God. Do you think it's an accident or happenstance that Sundays are so hard? The reason is there is hardly a more defiant assault against the dark domain of the devil than getting up, getting ready, preparing your family and your heart to come together with God's people and to be exhorted by the word and to exhort one another. You want to do spiritual warfare? Do that. Your faith and your maturity, I mean, it's, it's like a perfect stress test for everything that you believe. Getting ready and being here. And the enemy will find any and every way to oppose it and to solicit your thoughts even in this room. And the flesh is opposed to it too. He wants to make it so, so difficult when you actually get here. This is war. And your flesh hates it. I used to... My my chore the last years I lived at home was uh, upkeep of the swimming pool. And if you've ever... Uh, done upkeep of a swimming pool, one of the things you have to use to keep it clean is hydrochloric acid. It's a very dangerous chemical, and I guess we can trust teenagers with it because that's what my parents did. Um, You can actually hurt yourself really big, but if, if you pour hydrochloric acid on something that reacts to it, that thing starts dissolving and reacting horribly. You pour it into the water, and it's great. It kills all the bacteria and keeps things balanced and pH levels and all that good stuff. Your flesh is like your physical flesh would respond to hydrochloric acid when the words, thus says the Lord, or a certain equivalent are said. Our indwelling old man hates God's word. It responds like that shriveling substance against acid. It does not like it. When you're told you can't just do what you want to do. Thus says the Lord. We don't like that. So those are the four reasons that he appeals to them. And those are reasons that we need to hear this exhortation. To bear with honest, faithful words of exhortation from the Bible. What does it mean to bear with it? Well, it at least means to listen willingly. That, that, where it says, you look at it, bear with. I think a good kind of paraphrastic interpretation of it would be listen willingly. I think that's a good way to say it. A few weeks ago, we we saw obey and submit to your leaders. And and one way to think about that in interpretation was to have a habitual readiness to listen. I think that's what he's alluding to here as well. Having a habitual readiness to listen, to bear with it. What what does it mean? Is he just saying show up and hear? Maybe even memorize parts of it? It, No, it it has an attitude of hearing, to listen willingly. So that's the first thing that it means. Number two, it means to avoid writing the teacher or the speaker or the one doing the exhorting. Avoid writing him off quickly when he says something that rubs you the wrong way. How would you have responded if you have received this letter? When he says, if we persist in sin, there no longer remains a sacrifice. It is impossible to restore them to repentance. These are some of the hardest words in all the Bible are in Hebrews. How would have you responded? Consider consider Paul and the Galatians. If you had gotten that letter, and he's saying things that to even repeat them would have to come with a parental warning, how would you respond? Would you say, oh, who is this Paul? Sort of like the people in Exodus, who is this Moses? He's gone up to the mountain. We don't know what's become of him. Aaron, you make a God for us. We'll, We'll go find something else that suits us. There's a tendency because of our flesh to write off the ones saying hard things and to prefer the ones saying other things that suit us. And the ironic thing is that we prefer law. (laughs) We prefer the hardness of the law versus the gospel. That's another sermon. Part of what it means to be under the true apostolic gospel ministry is that you have a degree of patience to hear hard things and to not write the person off. Just think of Timothy in Ephesus. Think of being the church in Ephesus. I mean, the great church of Ephesus. And and Paul sends his young protege, a young man at the time, to to kind of oversee matters and appoint elders and stuff. Think, Think of what that would have felt like. Some being Christians longer than Timothy and some maybe knew Paul before Timothy came along. You stay there, Timothy, and you put it all into order. Would you have listened? Number three. This is underneath what it means to bear with this word. Uh, I think it it must mean something like this. Hearing in a way that leads to obedience. Hearing in a way that leads to obedience. Um, Specifically, obedience to the word of God. So, so the preacher's job is, is to point you to what the Word says on its own terms and to command you with the same level of authority of thus says the Lord to obey it. That's the preacher's job. So we saw in Hebrews 10, if you want to flip over there, just a few pages, Hebrews 10. We'll take a few minutes to look at this. This is just interesting in a way to understand what it means to hear in a way that leads to obedience. Starting in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So he's quoting Psalm 40, which in the Greek version that the author of Hebrews would have been reading does say a body. But if you go back to the Hebrew text, if you turn back to Psalm 40 in your own Bible, it says, you've given me an ear. Which is right. Does he give the Christ a body to obey God with or does he give him an ear? And you see the point. It's the same thing because through the ear, you hear the instruction that leads to obedience with the rest of your life. That's the idea. We're to hear in a way that leads to obedience. Number four, we also need to hear with spiritual ears. What does it mean to bear with? Again, it doesn't just mean to to hear what's being said. It doesn't even mean just obey and try to to have some level of conformity to the Word of God. In order to do those things, you've got to listen with spiritual ears. This is what Jesus says in Mark 4. And he said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those who are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So the purposes of God for His people is not that we would merely hear the sound of God's words coming down from the mountain. Do you remember the scene at Mount Sinai? They heard God's voice, but it did not produce lasting obedience. In less than 40 days, they're building a golden calf. So it doesn't matter so much what you hear with your literal ear. It matters what the ear of your heart hears and that leads to obedience so we've seen the problem of hearing and the ministry of the word why does he appeal to them what does it mean to bear with it and then the last question we'll ask under this under verse 22 which i think is the most it's kind of the the heading of this section why do they need to bear with it number one because the content is so vital. These are matters of life and death and heaven and hell. Oh, but you may say, I've, I've already been saved. Uh, and, I, and you may guess or think that everyone, for the most part, in this room is, is saved. And so, surely it's not a matter of life and death and heaven and hell right here. Why so serious all the time, Pastor? Pastor? Surely here we can not be so serious, but if you had eyes to see like Elijah's servant did, to see the war that is raging for your very soul and the souls of the young people in our church, maybe you'd be serious too. The stakes are high and higher than they ever been as we approach the day. Lawlessness will increase until the man of lawlessness himself comes. It's dangerous. The content is so vital. The author appeals to them to listen and to exhort one another so that none of them would fall away. The content and practice of our weekly meetings is essentially our collective efforts to make sure that we reach home safely, together. No man or woman left behind. But even outside of that context of falling away, if that's too hard of a teaching for you to hear this morning, uh, Christ is the good food. Just a few verses prior, It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what your soul needs is put on display, is served up on a platter, should be every single Sunday. Your soul needs to feed on Christ. And if it doesn't, it shrivels. And you do violence to your own soul by not feeding on Christ. And that's what we do That's what we should be doing when we get together to hear the Word preached. It's not just cool things about the Bible or the end times or interesting theological thoughts. It's Christ. Show us Christ as we just sing. That's the point of preaching. We need Him. And the role of good leaders, that's the context of chapter 13, is to connect us to that feast that has been prepared for us in Christ Himself. So that's the first reason we need to bear with it, because the content is so vital. Number two, for our own assurance. I was going to spend a lot more time talking about this, but just in summary, in 1 Thessalonians 1, you can go read it on your own time. One of the reasons that Paul is sure that the Thessalonian Christians are in fact Christians is because of how they responded to the word. Because they responded in obedience. They were wanting to hear and then became imitators of the apostles and those who were in his team. He says, that's how we know that you're a Christian. And that's how you can be sure that you are, in fact, a child of God. That's exactly what John says in 1 John. Our willingness to obey God's word... Your willingness to listen even to hard things, it gives, builds assurance in your heart. If you're just going to find whoever preaches and teaches according to your own fancy, how can that build assurance in your heart? It's just a faith unto yourself at that point. Number three, this is the third reason why we must bear with it, why they needed to bear with it, is for perseverance. If you've been here long, you know that one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. But how does Jesus keep all that the Father has given him? How is it that Jesus loses nothing that he's been given Part of how he does it is through the preaching of the word. And through you bearing with the words of exhortation. I mean, think of what he said just a few verses before. Who are keeping watch over your souls. That's not a ministry in addition to preaching that, is, that defines what the ministry of the Word is supposed to be. To use the Word to keep watch over the souls of those who belong to God. You making it home safely will be in proportion to how much you attached and tethered your life to the very Word of God. And all of those who are truly in Christ will, of course. I don't want to say anything different than that. However, those who are truly in Christ will feed on the word of God. That's how it works. And if you don't believe me, that your perseverance and faithfulness to God through the rest of your life depends in large measure by your being willing to listen to sound teaching, I can give you dozens of names, like real names of real people, And it all either began or went through in their process of apostatizing completely through their rejection of sound teaching. They began to distance themselves away from sound teaching. They either started that way or went through that, and now no longer confessing Christ. So we have seen this idea of the ministry of the word and the problem of hearing and why he appeals to them, what it means to bear with it, and why we need to bear with it and why they needed to bear with this word of exhortation. And then we get to verse 23. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So we have two options here with with a text like this we can either treat it as a break and a change of subject and he's talking about something else and he's just given personal instructions or we can connect it as i think we should to verse 22 if you're following along in the handout this is part of the point hearing of the word is increased through love and presence so what do you do after you exhort someone, after you say things that may be very hard to hear? You try to reassure them as much as you can. You try to be in their lives and to show that you love them, to show that you care for them. And that's what he's saying in verse 23, don't you see? That Timothy has been released, and I think it's, it's implied in the text that he's in prison too, and he's basically waiting for God to answer their prayers so that he could be restored to them, and they're both going to come and see them if they can, You see this personal concern for them. And it's matched by real, tangible proofs of his affection and love for them. So, the more love there is in the body of Christ, the more effective that love is in creating a desire to be together, especially between congregation and leader, the more effective the Word will be in creating lasting change. It's a long sentence, but here's the idea. Love produces change. (laughs) If you want to connect it. So so love is the fertile soil where the, the Word is planted in and produces change and fruit in our lives. And if there's no love, if there's no affection and care and concern, it doesn't happen. He's not just spitting out truth for them he cares deeply for them this comes across in every letter of the new testament whoever the author is deep pastoral concerned just like jesus himself he could have just stayed in heaven and commanded us regarding how we ought to live the atonement could have been accomplished maybe in the heavenly temple that exists up there i don't know could have been incarnated and everything happened in a corner maybe, but he didn't. He tabernacled or or made his tent, made his dwelling among us so that when he spoke the truth, we knew that he loved and cared for us in the midst of it. This is why the sinners and the tax collectors were drawn to him. His compassion was on full display in his life. And that's what I think the author is saying here. Timothy's been released. It's implied. I think he's still in prison. And I'm going to come to w- with him to you soon if, if I can. He cares about them. He wants to come and, and do more of the ministry of the word. This is how Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 2. So, being affectionately desirous of you. Have you ever said that of anyone other than your spouse, Maybe. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The ministry of the word happens in concert with the ministry of Christ, the ministry of love and the ministry of incarnational involvement in each other's lives. It can't happen any other way. It shouldn't happen in any other way. We're not disembodied teachers. We share our very lives, and that's what the author is doing. He wants to, he wants to get to them. He wants to be with them. You can see this flavor in, in the Corinthian correspondence primarily. Like, I, I want to get to you so I can change my tone. And he's, he's almost aware, like, my letter's going to sound harsh. I wish I could just be there with you so you can know that I deeply care and love you. So beware of a style and pattern of ministry or a reception of ministry that is happy to tell you stuff and teach you stuff, even teach you the gospel, happy to take your time and money and not care to have a relationship with you and to share their very lives with you. That's not gospel ministry. It's as Paul says himself, you have countless guides in Christ, but not many fathers, And my job is not to be your priest or master, but a brother in your employ pointing you to older brother in the same manner that older brother and his apostles preach the gospel. That's my job. Verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints those who come from Italy send you greetings. Again, we have the same decision to make. Either he's changing the subject again, he's just saying a kind of a throwaway line, or say hi to so-and-so, and you know, uh, make sure to greet this guy. And, uh, or we can see it, and I think we should, as, as a flow flowing from verse 22. And that's what I say in, if you're following along with the outline. Hearing the word creates unity in the body. So he appeals to them, I exhort you to bear with or to listen willingly to this word of exhortation. And then I think he's explaining what this begins to look like or the unfolding of having willing ears to listen to the word of God being preached. It will create unity in the body. And the first way he says it is greeting all your leaders. This theme of leaders has been all through chapter 13 and it reached its apex last week with Christ being called the great shepherd of the sheep. But you can see how this idea of leaders and the church's relationship to them runs through the whole chapter. So he's exhorted them to return to the original teaching. And to do so by recommitting themselves to the original leaders, or at least to the original teaching, and those leaders who were new, maybe, who were preaching the same thing. No less himself and Timothy. Obey and submit to your leaders, he says. And so, with his final imperative, the final command that he gives them, is to re-engage into community in a loving way. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. It's also the last reminder of what I think are the two central commands of the text. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some and consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Do you know a good way to start in your attempt to obey this command to exhort one another and to meet together and to stir one another up to love and to good works? Be warm and welcoming in a genuine way with each other. You don't have time to pursue this as much as I was originally wanting, but he says, All the saints. I wonder if this is an explicit rejection of ageism in the church. He doesn't say, Greet those that you really like talking to, or don't uh, greet your teenage friends. Or greet those that you have the same interests with, or the, same, the ones who are in the same life stage as you. Greet all the saints. And on a given Sunday, you don't have time. I promise. <laughs> I try. You don't have time to say hi to everyone in a meaningful way. But maybe a way to just start down this road in a practical way is just to think of two to three people two or three people that you haven't talked to in a long time in a different life stage or situation than you and prioritizing those two or three names that Sunday. Come with a plan because this is war. But let's not bury the lead. When, when we're all on the same page with the teaching, when we're bearing with the words of exhortation, this, this kind of community begins to flourish. It's not in reverse, it goes the other way. Bearing with faithful preaching and the words of exhortation will create a community of love and a warm and welcoming environment in our church. And I pray that's what has happened. We have a long way to go, but I do think we've made much progress. To put it bluntly in the opposite way, a lack of submission to faithful and biblical teaching is the cause of disunity. So, know that. And I think that's how we would take this in context and not just an isolated statement to greet all your leaders and all the saints. And and then he also says... uh, those from Italy, we don't know who these guys are, but, but a group of Christians who either came from Italy to minister to him while he's in prison, or those who he had heard about and sent him a letter, we, we don't know the relational connections, but the unity that begins to be produced in the body of Christ when the word is being submitted to, when we bear with the words of exhortation, of faithful preaching, uh, begins to happen and be created outside of the walls of our own church. The relationships begin to form across those lines, that there's unity and, and warm greeting and a welcoming community. I mean, look back at the start of chapter 13. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. These are Christians who would be traveling. You don't know them that well, but you know that their confession is Christ and showing hospitality to them. So love and unity and a warm and welcoming environment is the product of submitting to and bearing with words of exhortation. And then he ends by saying, grace be with all of you. And we're almost done, I promise. But if you are looking for a Bible verse to memorize, you could start with this one, grace be with all of you. And then you could add to it, Jesus wept. You got two memory verses already. And I would say if you could plumb the depths of both of those statements, the true humanity and love and compassion of Jesus on display in his weeping for his friend who has died. And then the grace of God being with all of us that you would do well. But he, he finally says this. And it's not just a throwaway line like, what, how do I wrap this up? All right, grace be with all of you. It's very intentional. Being said at the end, it's almost the crowning summary of all that's been said And this is why we should bear with sometimes very difficult words of exhortation, because the grace of God is in play. Whether or not you avail yourself of the means of grace that God has set up, primarily the preaching of His Word for your own benefit will either cut you off or ingratiate you to grace itself. Faithful preaching of God's Word, therefore, even in hard words, as the Word of God itself being a hard thing is preached, brings us to the grace of God in Christ Himself. It's not not the gospel and Jesus and then grace in some vague sense being brought to us. I think what he's saying is that the whole content of the letter, the priority and centrality of Christ Himself, He wants all of that to be theirs. The grace of God be with you. So everything he said about Jesus, primarily in his work, and his sufficiency, he wants it to be theirs, and that's why he wants them to bear with his word of exhortation. Because listening to the teaching about Jesus is what connects you to the grace of God in Christ. That's how it works. That's That's what preaching is. To help you understand the things freely given to you by God and to connect you to Christ himself. And Jesus is actually called the grace of God. In Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Who appeared? Jesus did. Jesus is the grace of God. There is no way that you can have grace. And this, this is the way to think about it. He is the embodiment of grace. And there is no grace of God that isn't in some way in or through Jesus. So, here's the last point. We'll spend just a few moments on this as we remind ourselves of the author's point. What, what is the word of exhortation that he's been appealing to us to listen to? It is none other than the message of Jesus Christ. Hearing the word, or bearing with the words of exhortation, bring the grace of God. And Here's just a few things that we know about Christ, who is the grace of God, From Hebrews, Jesus is the heir of all things. Through Jesus, God made everything and sustains everything. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus has made final purification and propitiation for our sins. Jesus, right now, stands at the right hand of the majesty on high with all authority. Jesus exceeds the angels in glory. Jesus is not only fully God, but also fully and perfectly human. Jesus took on our flesh to have perfect solidarity and empathy with his brothers and sisters. Jesus suffered the same things to learn obedience through what he suffered. Jesus had to cry out to the Father too, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus is greater in glory than Moses. Jesus provides eternal rest, the rest that Joshua could not give them even though he brought them into the land. Jesus, our high priest, is superior to Aaron and his priesthood. Jesus is the one and only eternal priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus secures and enacts better promises than anything under the Old Covenant. Jesus' death consecrates the heavenly temple better than the shadowy form and preview of the Old Covenant. Jesus' death is not only a better sacrifice than anything of the Old Covenant, but it is the only acceptable sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the first and final champion and forerunner of our faith. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the grace of God Himself. That is the point of this word of exhortation. It is Christ Himself. That's why we need to bear with it. Because if we don't, we cut ourselves off from Christ. There's no more stern way to put it. Believer. Build your life on this. Strive to excel in building up the church. Exhort one another every day. Make the best use of the time, for the days are evil. And to those who do not yet trust Christ, understand the gospel in these most basic terms is essentially here he is. This is what he's done. Will you trust him? Will you believe who He claims to be? Will you embrace what He says of you and embrace of what He says of the world? And will, will you just take Him at His word? Here is Christ. Come to Him. What does that mean? Well, it means to entrust yourself to Him. Believe that He is all of that that we just said. And believe that it is freely offered to you. It is freely offered to you today. Yes, even you as a sheer act of God's mercy. And I pray that you will bear with this word of exhortation. And all the words of exhortation I have given as I attempt to be faithful to such a book. What I want for you too is for the grace of God to be with you. Not as an emotional feeling but a knowledge and fellowship with Christ himself. He is the object and point of every sermon and lesson. So, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. You give us your truth. Hard as it may be for our flesh to hear, hard as it may be even for our limited minds to comprehend, you give us Christ. So I pray that the grace of God, Christ himself, would be with us all. In his name we pray, amen.